G'day and welcome to the Bridget and Josh show. I'm Bridget. And I'm Josh. And this is the show where we talk about what we think young Catholics should care about. Today, we reckon you should care about the election and all the little bits and pieces that have come with that, the lead up, the date, and who's involved. It's election time. Yeah. Almost. Well, it's democracy season. I'm keen to get my yeah, democracy look, jumper out again. In, uh, in rugby league, they call it big boy season. Well, it's <laughs> democracy season, so get excited. It's going to be good. Yeah. So we're recording this uh, in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, and it's the middle of March, so... We'll talk a, a bit a bit more about this in a little bit, but it's probably a few weeks before the election is going to be called. So we figured, what a good time to uh, talk about the election. Yeah, and like what it means, what it's going to mean for us, and also all the little bits and pieces that uh, kind of are assumed knowledge, I guess. Because an election only happens every couple of years, hopefully. At least it's meant to. Um, <laughs> gee, we really hope so. Um it can be easy to get lost in the details of it and to think there's so much going on here, there's so much to understand, and then there's all the little, you know, political slogans and grabs and stuff trying to get your attention and trying to convince you. Um, it's important to really be thinking critically about that. And so we're going to start a bit of a season, a, a short series of episodes that's going to be helping us to walk through the election in the lead up and then maybe some processing of it at the end. Yeah, and we're hoping to cover a whole lot of stuff. So. Uh, and we'll say this again at the end, but if, if there's anything you want to learn about the election and all that sort of stuff, feel free to let us know. We're hoping to talk about everything from who's running, uh, who the Prime Minister is, um, how voting works, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Excellent. So where are we going to start, Josh? Well, we figured the best way to start, um, as it is with anything, is to look at, w- look at what the state of play is before us. Mm. So have a bit of a talk about... Well, who is the Prime Minister, as Jenny Macklin once said. Um, Have a look at who is currently in Parliament, uh, how many seats the parties have, who's running, um, what we should be looking for as we get into the election campaign proper, which will probably start in the next uh, fortnight to a month's time. So, Yeah, yeah. excellent. Amazing. So... Who is the Prime Minister? Where should we start? Well, a guy called Scott Morris, you've probably seen him on TV or at the Sharkies, one mm-hmm. of the two, the football game, probably not Sharkies. Um, I'm thinking of the Sharkies at Karela, which is a, a a sports bar that I drive past when I go and see some <laughs> friends of mine. Pretty sure he doesn't go there, although that isn't in his electorate, but that's a different point. Um, yeah, so Scott Morrison's Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. He's the leader of the Liberal Party, mm-hmm. and the Liberal Party is in, like we've talked about before, is in a coalition agreement with the National Party and they form, uh, at the moment, they form the Government of Australia. The opposition leader is Anthony Albanese. Mm-hmm. He's also from Sydney, like the Prime Minister, and he's the leader of the Labor Party. And so as things stand at the moment, uh, so there's 100, 151 seats in the lower house and the biggest party in the lower house forms government as 
think we touched on one of our earlier episodes. Yep, and the lower house is also known as the House of Representatives, isn't it? It is, yes. See, I'm, I'm there with, the, with the, the jargon again, and Bridget, you're always yep. good. You're pulling me up on the jargon. This is good. This is the good. people need to know. That's it. Me and my assumed knowledge, right? Yep. Bridget's here to save us from assumed knowledge. So um, amongst other many great things. <laughs> Yeah, so if there's 151 seats in the House of Representatives, to get a majority, you need you need 76 of the 151 seats. Yep. So at the moment, that's exactly how many the government have. They have 76 wow. seats in the lower house, in the House of Reps. The Labor Party, they have, have, they have 69. Mm-hmm. And the other parties, independents and other minor parties, they hold six seats. Now... Worth noting, as I say that, that's the current state of play. But we look at the next election that's coming up. We often will take uh, the seats. We look at the seats based on where things will stand when they dissolve the House. We'll talk a a little bit about what that means in a bit. Um, And why I say that is, for example, um, when we think about how Parliament is now, uh, we're counting Craig Kelly Mm -hmm. um, as an independent. But when we look at the election, because Craig Kelly was elected as a member of the Liberal Party, we'll count that as a Liberal Party seat. And that, that's not that important, but it helps us to sort of get an idea about how you might yep. see some of these numbers move around, how Anthony Green talks about it might be different to what you might see on Wikipedia and that sort of stuff. So that's a slight side note, but worth mentioning. It's definitely worth mentioning because I think it's very easy to think that once an election happens, things are static, when really that's just the beginning of the process. Once we put... Uh, our numbers to the people that's the beginning of the process of the rest of democracy yes and that's exactly right when the house is dissolved and what it means when we talk about the parliament being dissolved it means that at the end of its the parliamentary term the governor general basically gives everyone the sack Mm -hmm. Uh, all of the members of the house and half of the senators all lose their jobs and they can then nominate to be re-elected and what often happens in the mix of that in the preparation for, for an election the Australian Electoral Commission that run the elections, they'll often undertake redistributions and they happen about every two elections. Mm -hmm. And they're done to make sure that the seats best line up with the the demographics and the population numbers of enrolled voters around the country. So for example, uh, the seat of Stirling in WA, uh, that's being abolished. And there's wow. a new seat that's that's being created in the western suburbs of Melbourne called Hawke. Um, and so what that'll mean is Stirling, that's currently held by the Liberal Party, mm-hmm. that'll be lost. And Hawke, based on the borders that it's going to uh, be constitu- con- constituted of, whatever the word is. Yeah, yeah. The um, constitution of the constituents. Yeah, that one. See, that's I like it. It's a pun. It's uh, not pun. Alliteration. There we yeah. go. Um, if you look at all the different places in that area, that'll be a Labor Party seat. So we exactly what you're saying, seats move around. Mm. But that's we're probably running before we can walk here. But um, so yeah, so that's, that's the general sort of feel of things at the moment. So the government is holding on by a very thin margin. Yep. But the Labor Party still has a little bit of work to do if they want to uh, if they want to win the election. Absolutely. And it's important to know that those seats don't just kind of change randomly. They're based on that population data. So that way, that each of the seats that are in the Australian House of Reps, is measuring about the same population. So that way everyone is getting their chance to have a say. For example, Grainler, which is Anthony Albanese's seat, is this very small geographically area in Sydney, but it's got just as much population as enormous swathes of WA. So it's actually part of keeping the balance is changing up those seats, but it certainly has a massive impact on the way that our government fits together. Yeah, 100%. And that's... um yeah, and it's really, and it is funny when you look at Grainler versus some of those big seats like Durack in WA, which is 
probably bigger than half the state, half the states of the country. Um, but exactly right because it is trying to apply as best as we can that one person, one vote uh, thing, which is which is what they're trying to achieve there. So, which is good. And so, when it comes to the election date, what are we sort of thinking? We've probably there's you've probably heard different things in the news. Have you sort of heard much, Bridget, about when the when the election might be and that sort of stuff? I haven't heard much about it. Mostly May. Yeah, that's here, yeah. That's the feel that people are going for because that kind of lines up with where things were last time. Yeah. And that's important because the terms only last for a couple of years and you have to kind of call an election by the time the terms are up. Yeah. And you have to have somewhere that you're going to be heading towards. We also need I think it's about 6 weeks. Yeah. How much is how long is the campaign? 3 days I think technically is the Yeah. magic number. Yeah, so you need that length of time to have a campaign. So the government tries to kind of balance that timeline of when they're going to call an election based on the time out that they need to have the election done so that way it all fits together strategically for them to have their best bet at it. Yeah, and I think um, the thing which is a little bit different from, say, state elections is often in Australia, most states now, they have fixed terms so that the date is set and, you know, uh, so I know in New South Wales, it's the last Saturday in March, it's always... That's the date, and there's nothing really the government can do about it apart from a few minor possibilities. Where federally, uh, it's still in the, the hands of the Prime Minister, so the Prime Minister can decide when he wants to go to an election. That's what happened in 2016. Malcolm Turnbull called a double dissolution election. Um, and so, generally, what you will see if a government is behind in the polls, like the coalition have been mm-hmm. for the last little while, they'll, they'll let the parliament run all the way to the full term. So, some people. Uh, have been saying, well, w- w- will the will the government do a half Senate election at a different time to the House? No, they won't. So we won't have to go into that. But, yeah. Um, if you ever if you hear anyone saying, oh, they're going to split the elections, mm, they're not really. That's just a bit of a uh, technical loophole that some people think will happen. But if they did, uh, the government would lose uh, pretty terribly. So May looks like the uh, the magic month. I don't know if that's how you put it. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And what's important about that 2016 election is that it was a double dissolution, which we can probably go into in another episode. But the impact of that is still having lasting impacts because of the way that Senate and House of Reps terms work. So this will be the second election since then. So we had 2019 and now we're having 2022. It's really important that we have that perspective that things that happened two elections ago in 2016 are still having an impact, despite the fact that you and I both know that Everything is very different from very how it different. looked in 2016. So different. Where were you on election day in 2016? Do you remember? I was at... Oh, in 2016, I was in year 12. Oh. Then, yeah, so... Okay. Again, I'm having one of these moments where I feel really old. I, uh, <laughs> I was in an I stand camp, actually, in Wollongong. That's yeah, cute. I was, we were up there. I was in my novitiate in the Brothers. I'm so old. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was just random. I thought I... Walking down memory lane. I just remember listening to the radio, driving down from Appen back to Canberra, listening to the election on the radio. We couldn't believe that the government had lost that many seats and Bill Shorten was so close to Mm. possibly winning. Obviously, he didn't, but yeah. So to have a look at what is going on in the coming election, we're going to start by breaking things open state by state, aren't we, Josh? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the key things that we're going to talk about is who holds what? who's in power at the moment versus who's not and what the difference is. We're also going to look at what's called a marginal seat. So those are seats that generally have a less than 5% difference between who got government and who didn't. 
Within those marginal seats, there's very interesting seats called swing seats. They're seats that usually kind of swing, I guess, <laughs> between one party or the other or between different members or however it ends up being. Um, and then as opposed to that, there's also what's called safe seats. And safe seats are the ones that I generally pretty reliably vote one way or another. So they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. What's interesting too, though, is that I've heard of these things called bellwether seats. Yeah, yeah. Which my understanding is that they tend to be seats that if a party wins them, it's a pretty good indication that they're heading for the election and that they'll probably form government, but not necessarily. So all of these things are kind of expected, but our world is very unexpected. So who knows how things could change in the upcoming election? Yeah, totally. So should we start with New South Wales? Because that's kind of biggest population-wise and has a very big influence on the way our government works. Yeah, 100%. So uh, if we look at New South Wales, New South Wales has, I think it's 47 seats. That's about a third of all the seats in the House. Yeah. So currently, the government has, the Liberal National Party have 22 of those seats. Mm -hmm. Labor has 24 and there's one independent and that independent is Zali Stegall. And so she won against Tony Abbott in what was a safe seat, Warringah had had basically never been held by anyone but the Liberal Party and she had a big swing uh, towards her against Tony Abbott and she Mm -hmm. picked that up at the last election. So as you were saying, these marginal seats are really important because they're the ones the parties will target from the Mm -hmm. opposition and they'll they'll try and protect their marginal seats as well. So if you look at marginal seats in New South Wales, the Liberal Liberal National Parties, they have three seats under 5%. Wow. Which doesn't seem like a lot out of... They're 22. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Labor Party, they have 10 seats that are on 5% or less of a margin. So that's almost half of their seats in New South Wales. And that's mm-hmm. in different parts of the country. Some of that is in Sydney, in parts of Western Sydney. Some of that is down on the South Coast. Yeah. Eden Monero, um, Gilmore would be part of those. And also there's, a, there's about two or three seats up in the Hunter Valley as I well, see. who, again, historically a safe Labor area that there's those margins have really decreased over the last period of time. And what's interesting about that is that there's th- there's the three areas we spoke about. They're three very different areas. Yeah. Different different things are important to those areas, people in those constituencies and those communities. Um the most marginal seat in the country is Macquarie, mm-hmm. uh, which is based around the Hawkesbury and the Blue Mountains. Obviously, that's just been impacted by the floods. Yeah, um, that'll be an interesting yeah, to and see so where that impacts ha- things. You know, whether how did the Prime Minister go and respond to that versus, you know, mm-hmm. Albo was out there as well. So that's going to be really interesting. And, and New South Wales tends to be what people are talking about and what I've, I'm hearing from different people is that the coalition is kind of expecting losses in different parts of the country. They're hoping that New South Wales can be something of their kind of um, their counterbalance of that. They want to try and pick up some Labor seats in New South Wales. Labor's got a lot of territory to defend. There's a whole lot of diverse issues um, that the coalition is kind of hoping that can go their way. So they're wanting to pick up some seats to counter any possible losses um, elsewhere in the country. Interesting. So would any of those be coming from Victoria, maybe? What's the state of the game there? Yeah, well, Victoria, again, is really interesting that... Um, Historically, it was always seen as the jewel in the Liberal Party's crown. Mm-hmm. You know, they always had the used to be the place where that guaranteed the Liberal Party government whenever they won. Robert Menzies was the leader here. Peter Costello was here for a long time. Uh, Josh Frydenberg, the current treasurer, he's uh, his electorate is just across the road from our house, actually. Yeah, um, I saw a few uh, big Josh Frydenberg yeah, signs heads in. all over town, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So at the moment, there's 15 LNP seats, Liberal National Party seats. There's 21 ALP. Seats and there's two independents. 
Two independents, very interesting. Yeah, and so that, again, that, that's really interesting because um, of those seats, four of the Liberal Party seats or the coalition seats are under that 5%, whereas only two for the Labor Party. And the other interesting as well is that Labor Party, the Labor Party has always done really, really well in terms of the primary vote and two-party preferred yep. vote across the state. But that hasn't always translated into big gains in terms of the seats. It's still only about five or six seats between them. So what's going to be really interesting here, I mean, we're in Chisholm, mm-hmm. the most marginal seat in the state, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Um, and so... Will, it will be interesting whether to see whether the Labor Party can make those gains in seats, not just in, in the voting numbers. So Chisholm here. Kuyong will be really interesting. Um, Dr. Monique Ryan, she's uh, independent. That's got a lot of backing. So I've seen, I've seen her co-flutes everywhere, all over town. Wow. Um, Goldstein, which is uh, towards the south. Um, there's another independent running there um, against uh, Tim Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Higgins, which was Kelly O'Dwyer's seat, that's a three-corner contest, which is we talk, that's when we talk about between the Labor Party, the Liberal Party and the Greens, or sometimes Labor, Liberal and the Nationals. Interesting. So that's really interesting. So Victoria's going to be really fascinating. Yeah. The other thing that's really interesting is that through our six lockdowns that we had down here, there was always a lot of support for Dan Andrews and the mm-hmm. Labor government here, regardless of the fact that we've been in so many lockdowns. Yeah. And when the government came out and were trying to were probably a bit critical of Dan Andrews compared to what they might have been like for other governments around the country, the feel on the ground is that wasn't really well received. So Josh Freinberg, again, was really strong and was really vocal about that. So it'd be interesting to see what impact does that have? What impact does the recovery from the pandemic have to say around that sort of stuff? Is that still fresh in people's minds or are people looking beyond that into some other stuff as well? That is really interesting too because there is that separation between our state governments and our federal governments and sometimes it I feel like it kind of logically it feels like it should be like oh well if they're majority liberal slash labor slash whatever state governments then there should be that in the federal government but because the federal and state governments are in charge of different things really people are going to vote differently and so Mm. it doesn't always have that kind of cookie cutter clearness that I think we kind of one yeah. almost but that's because people are valuing things differently and they're having different responses and i think the pandemic is going to have a massive part of that and these floods and all of our other chaos and emergencies that yeah. seem to be happening around us constantly are all going to have different impacts yeah and i think that's going to be really interesting and the impact of a lot of independents around here that are you know and we're in the eastern suburbs here naturally a very progressive liberal part mm-hmm. of town and so there's a lot of support for um, climate change for social progressive social issues in and around the eastern suburbs especially the more gentrified areas in the yep. inner southeast inner south inner east uh, looking at places like Hawthorne, richmond mm-hmm. um, south yarra all that sort of stuff so that has a big impact uh, i think on how things go as well so we might move on to i'm going to do these two states together because they're kind of similar interesting uh, in not similar in how they're going to impact the election. Very different. Mm-hmm. So Queensland and WA. Oh, very nice. Opposite ends of the country. Very opposite ends of the country. But they have some commonalities. Mm-hmm. Pretty heavily criticised um, around their border policies mm-hmm. uh, over the last couple of years. So if we look at Queensland first, there's 26 Liberal National seats. Yep. LNP seats. Six ALP. So look at that. There's four... There's 24, 23 to 6 and one independent, which is Bob Catter. That's massive. In WA, 10 Liberal National seats, 5 ALP. So if we hold both of those together, that's 33 seats to 2 
11. Wow. That's about 70, 75%. Yeah. And so if you look at the last few elections, that's actually a bit, been a big part of what's carried the Liberal National Party to victory. They haven't won a majority of seats in Victoria and New South Wales for a little while, but they've really come back to power based off the strong results in Queensland mm-hmm. and WA. What also makes this interesting, if we look at uh, the marginal seats, Queensland has the Liberal, Na- Liberal National Party have four seats under 5% mm-hmm. in Queensland. But if you look at the ALP, they have the same number. And a lot of that had to do with the big swing. So if we break that down, that means there's 19 LNP seats that are higher than 5%, yep. but only two ALP seats that are higher than 5%. So you might think, oh, that's actually probably more scary for the Labor Party than the Liberal Party. But the interesting thing about Queensland is it swings big one way in the other election after the election. It's a bit like a pendulum one way and then the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big thing in 2010, which put the Gillard government back into into minority government because they had a big swing against them, which countered the big swing they had towards them in 2007 when Kevin Rudd won the election. Yeah. So what happened last time is there was big swings towards the Liberal National Party on the Gold Coast and also up in regional northern and central Queensland. So there's a fair expectation now, given uh, some of the animosity between the government, and the federal government, the state government, mm-hmm. that we're probably going to see a bit of a reset there and that there's going to be some losses that the government's going to cop in Queensland. Interesting. And it'll be interesting to see where those losses go, right? Because losses to the government doesn't necessarily mean gains for the ALP. It also means potential gains for miners and independents. And Queensland is a bit of a a hive for minor parties and Mm -hmm. especially big contrarian voices. You know, Pauline Hanson's that Ipswich Lachlan Valley Corridor. She's... That's sort of her heartland. That's where she basically, those votes got her into the Senate. Yeah. Uh, they won 10% of the, the, the Senate vote last year compared to about 3 or 4 maybe 5% across the rest of the country. Bob Catter is really big. Catter's Australia Party up in the north. Clive Palmer's really putting a whole lot of effort into, into Queensland there. Campbell Newman's popped up out of nowhere. He's running for what up until recently was called the Liberal Democrat Party. They've been told by the High Court they can't be called that anymore, so I'm not sure what they're called anymore. But... Um, so yeah, so that's going to be really fascinating. How do things move? Where do, if people might move away from the government, where mm. are they moving to? Are they going to the Labor Party? Are they going to the Greens? Are they going to One Nation to the United Australia Party? It's going to be really fascinating. Yeah, I'm keen to see the outcomes of that. So what else about WA? Can yeah, we find out? yeah. So again, WA. It's really interesting. For such a long time, it was a very strong coalition base for them, and you had a really strong liberal uh, liberal government, Colin Barnett's government. Mm-hmm which is sort of self-destructed. The government was voted out a couple of elections ago and the Liberal Party since then has really fallen apart. Wow. They've had all these crises. They've basically got hardly any seats left. So their organisation is really low in yep. terms of their capacity to do stuff. So that mixed with the border um, d- disputes, I guess you could call them, mm-hmm. um, the different experience from COVID around the country. So even though you've got 10 LNP seats to five ALP seats, what you're probably going to find is a pretty big swing away yep. from the government. That's what the government is, is fearing, and that's what's driving all the hopes around New South Wales. Um, you've also got some interesting seats. Sterling, like I said, has, has been lost. So Vince Connolly, he's um, now running in Cowan, which is held by the Labor Party by, by around about 0.9%. Interesting, so that's pretty small. Yeah, so that would be interesting to see whether he gets some incumbency from the Sterling voters that are now part of Cowan. Mm-hmm. But you've also got Pierce, the seat, Christian Porter's old seat. He's retiring, but what's going to happen there? So it's really interesting to see 
what's going to happen and will the Liberal Party have the organisational strength um, and logistics to actually be able to, to run really well in WA? It's such a long, long way from anywhere else in the country. They really need on-the-ground support there. Amazing. So who's left? We've still got South Australia? Yeah, so South Australia and Tasmania. So South Australia and Tassie, they're the two smallest states in terms of seats. So mm-hmm. there's 10 seats in South Australia and the AOP have five the Libs have four, and there's one independent, which is Rebecca Sharkey in Alexander Downer's old seat of Mayo. Mm-hmm. The only real marginal seat there is Boothby. Uh, that's been held by Nicole Flint. She's retiring. Um, and again, you know, interesting, the state elections happening, uh, well, for us, it's this weekend um, on the 19th of March. So whether this comes out before that, who knows? Depends how <laughs> we'll my editing goes. But, um, and then Stephen Marshall, the, the Liberal Premier, the expectation is he might get a bit of a shellacking and the Labor Party might come back to power there. So will there be a swing away from the government? Probably. But in terms of what there is to lose after Boothby Sturt, which is Chris Pine's old seat, mm-hmm. is sitting on around about 6 or 7%. So it'll have to be a pretty big swing in that state for that to fall. But look, anything's possible. Um, and then the other, if we could look to Tasmania, there's five seats in Tasmania and they're two and two uh, with Andrew yep. Wilkie as the independent down there in Clark, which is based in and around Hobart. Um, but in saying that, the two liberal seats down there, they're all both marginal seats. So there is a bit mm-hmm. of a, there's a bit of a question, well, will the government lose those? And some people think they might. Um, Bridget Archer, who's been a bit of an outspoken critic of the government, even though she's a liberal MP, um, She's one of those members. So whether they punish her for that or they reward her for that, it'll be interesting to see um, what happens in terms of the results there, which is kind of, it's going to be really interesting. And then all you've got left is the territories, Northern Territory and the ACT, and there's yep. five seats between them, and they're all all held by the Labor Party. And oh, wow. I, you wouldn't really expect any of those to go. The only thing that's interesting is Lingiari, which is Warren Snowden, who's, who's been the MP there since the since 80s. Since forever. Since forever. Uh, he's retiring. Wow. Uh, so that's going to be really interesting. And that's uh, his seat is, I'm pretty sure that's the seat that covers most of the territory. So yeah. Solomon is all around Darwin and then Lingiari is the more uh, regional based one. So that's a very, very quick whirlwind run through. That um, was a whirlwind. And I think the, the important thing just to talk about when we look at the state by state, often mm-hmm. people talk about what does the national swing have to be? Yep. You know, so if you look at Anthony Green, um, his website, he reckons that if... He's the ABC elections yeah, analyst, isn't he's, he? Uh, he's like the, I don't know what the, what the word would say, but he's like the king of elections yeah. in Australia, right? Um, he's saying, look, if national swings were a thing, the ALP would need to get about about 51.5% of the two-party preferred mm-hmm. vote to get the seats they need. So they need seven seats yeah. to get into majority government. But what we learned from last election is that swings never happen uniform across the country. Yep. Massive swings to the Liberal Party in Queensland, big swings against the Liberal Party in South Australia mm. and Victoria, for example. So that's why the state-by-state state look is actually really good. If you, if you can see the state-by-state state polling and you start seeing some seat polls come out, state-by-state state polling can be pretty hit and miss. They're not yep. that reliable. But when you look at you start seeing state-by-state state polling and swings and that sort of stuff, that's really helpful because states generally, especially in the metropolitan areas, they tend to be thinking pretty similarly. Mm-hmm. Not always. Uh, things are very different in Potts Point than they are from Campbelltown in Sydney. Absolutely. I am a... I, don't think that has to be said, really. Yeah. Um, you know, what matters for mum and dad Wicker is very different to what matters for Malcolm and Lucy Turnbull. So, mm. um, 
not bad or worse, just different. Yeah. So, but generally, those state by state swings can give you a really good sort of picture of what's going to happen and what what might be moving around the election. So, yeah. Very nice. Thanks for that, Josh. It's really interesting too because as you were going through those seats and especially the marginal seats, there was quite a lot of people retiring or shifting boundaries and that kind of thing. And I think that shows very much that the things, the state of the game at the moment is not the same as it was previously. And so it will be very unexpected. Oh, yeah. not necessarily unexpected, but like it'll be very um, up for anything. Who knows what could happen? And the risk of being cliche, COVID changes everything, right? Absolutely. What, what matters now for people is going to be very different. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. But there's yeah. going to be things that are, were big issues before 20, the end of 2019 that aren't now and vice versa, which is yeah. really, um, which is going to be really interesting. Yeah. What's something that you're looking forward to in terms of the election and maybe what you've heard about it that's sort of really sort of grabbing your interest um, as we move towards the election? Well, what I'm really interested in looking at is the other state-by-state system that we've got. So obviously we've got our House of Rep stuff, but I'm really interested in what's going to happen in the Senate. Yeah. So the Senate is very interesting because it's part of um, our kind of funny combined system in Australia is that we have proportional representation for the House of Reps, but in the Senate, it's done state by state and with the territory. So each of the states gets 12 senators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> I just remember right. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say that wrong. And our territories both get two. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting about the Senate is that they're actually elected quite differently. So it, it's done by a quota of who gets the most amount yeah. of seats, but that's divided by the 12 or by the two rather than um, each seat getting its own member so what happens then is that some of those minority voices or people who feel like they're a bit on the margins of the two major parties um, are kind of more able to come together to get an independent elected so the way that it would work in theory is that if for example you've got a group of five people in a house of reps seat in an electorate um There might be one person who would be keen to vote for a minor party and then four people who aren't. Hmm. But when you spread that out among the state, there might be 10 of those groups of five people. So that means that 10 people are now keen for a minor party or an independent or whoever, rather than just the one. So they're more likely to get elected in the Senate. And also our Senate has a very powerful and important role in the way that we review legislation. So it's really important to have diverse voices in there. Yeah, so if we look into the maths of that a little bit, yeah. um, so at each Senate election, at least for the states, the Territory Senate is there up every three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the states, those 12 senators are divided into two classes. Yeah. Uh, and so six people are, are up for election every... Well, six seats are up for election every election, right? Yeah, that way there can be a bit of consistent, yeah. like, consistency in the way that legislation is reviewed and that way things aren't always changing every couple of years. There's a bit of longevity in it. Yeah, and so the way they work out the quotas, they look at how many people there are in the entire state who are enrolled to vote and they look at how many seats are available. So look at New South Wales, there might be 5 million people who are enrolled and there's six senators. And so what they do is they, they take the number of senators plus one to go to seven mm-hmm. and they divide the five million by seven. They add one to that number and that becomes the quota. Yeah, and the so quota if, for a majority. Yeah, yeah. And so to get elected, a senate a candidate has to reach that quota and they either do that with their primary votes or with their, with preferences. And we'll explain some of that next election, uh, next election, next podcast, <laughs> whoopsie daisy, next episode. Um, but what that means, if you just do rough, rough maths, 
you know, that probably works out to something like 12% or roughly. I'm yep. just guessing the mathematicians, you can correct us. But all I'm trying to say is it's 12% is a whole lot less than 50%. So yes. if you've got those five people, if you have the four who want to, you might have four that want to vote for the Labour Party, one person wants to vote for an independent, those four people make 80%. This person makes one, so they're going to win mm. in terms of a Senate, in terms of a lower house seat. But if you look at the Senate, that twenty percent that gets you a quota. Yeah. So that independent has is going to get elected, and so that's that's what makes it much easier for those minor parties to get um, to get up. Yeah, and it's so interesting too because those minor parties and independents vary massively across the country. So our senators come from all over the place, yeah. and we have some very famous ones, example Pauline Hanson or Jackie Lambie or you know the other people that we've talked about. But uh, that's not universal because they are representing their communities from yeah. their states. Um, so, for example, in Canberra, our in one of our independents who I've seen a lot around is David Pocock, who used to be a rugby player. Yeah. So he's going up for an independent seat in the Senate. And that's really interesting because, like, our kind of independents are going to be completely different from independents in other parts of the country. Hmm. And so it's really important that... Not, that I'm heaps pro minor party or heaps yeah. not, but it's just really important that they're part of our electoral system. They can have a real sense of accountability for the major parties because often the balance really hangs in them. Yeah. So we've seen a couple of really big examples of that. For example, in the minority Gillard government, where the independence minor parties were massively important and were very key in many of the negotiations that happened. Yeah. It's also important because... People are sometimes drawn to minor parties or are completely off minor parties because they think that either minor parties can't do anything because they'll never get elected and they'll never form government or because they're like, the major parties are the worst, they're all the same, blah, 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 blah. And neither of those is entirely true, which is why it's really important that you have a critical eye when you're looking at um, your preferences and your, the way that you're voting, which we're going to discuss a little bit um, in another episode. But it's just important that you have that uh, that wider gaze, I suppose, in taking in all of the information that is available for you so that way you can be making a fully informed decision about how your vote is going to go. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing as well, you know, historically, and even when we look at 2010, um, historically what the general understanding is that minor parties were always a thing for the Senate. Uh, and looking at, and even independence were really a thing for the Senate. The only time you'd really see them would be in regional or rural communities mm. that had uh, members with really strong profiles who might have been. I mean, you look at you know those three senators at the t- uh, those three uh, MPs at the time: Bob Catter, Rob Oakeshott, and Tony Windsor. They were all former National Party MPs. They were elected as members of the National Party, either in the federal parliament or the state parliaments. Went independent, and then they were able to either transition into federal parliament or. That's where they were when they were Nats MPs. So yeah. they all they kind of had that boost from being a part of, the, of, mm. of a major party and then their incumbency took over. And so it was always sort of seen as a bit of a, a rarity, with the exception of Andrew, Andrew Wilkie, really, um, down there in Tasmania, um, f- to see those MP, uh, to see independents get up in the lower house. What we're seeing, what we've started seeing is a bit of a shift. Yes. You look at uh, what was Kathy McGowan, now Helen Haynes in Indi, which mm-hmm. is based up towards Wodonga and that northern region of Victoria. Rebecca Sharkey in the Adelaide Hills in Mayo, which, like I said before, was uh, Alexander Downer's old seat. And then you look at what's happened the last in the last five years. You've got 
you know either side of the uh, the heads in Sydney. Um, Karen Phelps was elected in Wentworth. She then lost in 2019, and then Zali Segal, as we were talking about before, mm. elected in Tony Abbott's previous seat. Um, so that's been something that's been really interesting as well, seeing that transition into the lower house. Yeah. And I think that's um, like we were talking about before. I live next door to Kuyong, uh, which is Josh Frydenberg's electorate. He's facing a big challenge from Monique Ryan. And her core flutes and her signs are everywhere. And there's yeah. been big money. Yeah. Big money behind. And a lot of that is behind the, what's behind a lot of that is this climate 200. Group. Have you heard much about them? I've heard bits and pieces. I've seen, I get their ads on Facebook, which I think yeah, is yeah. a very interesting uh, insight into my yeah, kind so of algorithm and the way that. There you go. See, I don't. That's yeah. That's really interesting. See, but. Yeah. Well, that's also an important thing to look yeah. out for is, you know, how social media is impacting our yeah. democracy. But that's, you know, for another time. For another but day. even just for our different, you know, viewpoints on the world and the way that we operate differently as people is like, I'm getting the Climate 200 stuff, whereas you are not. Mm. I was going to say, I'm getting Craig Kelly, but I think we're all getting Craig Kelly. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and that's been really fascinating that there's almost like this rise of the independence, and that happens every few elections. I mean, everyone thought Kevin Mack in Farrah might have won last time. He got about 19% of the vote, didn't really factor Susan Lee. Was, Susan Lee was returned pretty easily. Um, but I went on the Climate 200 website today oh, yeah. to have a look, and I wrote down what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 names. Mm-hmm. As a whole stack, I didn't... I think there was over 20 independents there that they're backing. Some of them won't have much of a chance, but yeah. I'm thinking of Zoe Daniel in Goldstein against Tim Wilson. She's They've been in the courts this week because, you know, he doesn't like the fact that she's got signs up around the area. There's questions about whether that's legal in terms of what mm-hmm. the bylaws in that, state, in, in that state council area are. But even the fact that he's taking her to court makes you wonder, is there a, is there a concern and a threat yeah. here? Um, the independent up in North Sydney, um, facing Trent Zimmerman again. North Sydney, mm. Joe Hockey's old seat, really safe Liberal Party seats, and a lot of these seats are Liberal Party seats. That's you know, really interesting. Kuyong, North Sydney, uh, Moringa, uh, Allegris, Allegris Spender is running in Wentworth. Malcolm Turnbull's old seat. Yep. These big name seats, you know, and so while. The Labor Party is never going to win in North Sydney, never going to win in Goldstein, never going to win in Kuyong. Mm. If the independents can do kind of what maybe the Greens has done, have done a little bit, say, with Melbourne here and yep. also in state parliaments around the country in some of those inner city seats, that changes the game completely. You Absolutely. Know? We could see, I'm, I'm not saying we will, but we could see up, up and above 10 or more independents and minor party MPs in the lower house. Which is really interesting because there's been some interesting stuff coming out of Europe about the way that they have had to balance coalition governments or minor governments by uh, tapping into those independents. And the independents do hold a lot of power there. So I think um, it's very important that they're not dismissed or not kind of put by the wayside. But to be when you're kind of looking at election stuff and looking at the way that um, people are trying to sway your vote, just be critical about it and understand, like, what are they going to do and what's their power because your vote is your vote and it's entirely yours yeah and i think and what it does it 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 also puts a lot of seats on the map and it means you know Mm. maybe maybe parties have to look a little more closely at those electorates absolutely Um, i know when in the state election in 2011 uh campbelltown where i used to work for the local member there after the 2011 election that hadn't been represented by a Liberal Party MP for over 40 years and a massive 27% swing to, or something like that, 20-something percent swing to the Libs. 
uh, we run that seat. Mm. You know, what followed is a whole new investment and a whole lot of attention from both parties, and that because both parties wanted to keep it. Yeah, um, I'm not saying. I'm not saying pork barreling is necessarily a thing. I'm not saying parties deliberately don't provide for electorates that are safe or not. But what I'm saying is attention on these seats that maybe haven't got a lot of attention, at least in the media, can't be a bad thing. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting. There's lots of, who remember, there's lots of marginal, there's lots of, not marginal seats, but lots of really, um, don't know what to, mystery seats, maybe, uh, Mm, I don't know what the word is, but question mark seats. Wild card seats. That's what. That's well, the wild word. cards. <laughs> There's lots of seats that are going to be real wild cards come the election. And I'm, you know, as a bit of an election nerd, I love sort of counting. Well, I don't count the votes personally, but I love watching the votes come in and, and yeah. trying to guess what's going to happen. I'm really excited. It's going to be a really fascinating election. So there's all these different things at play, not only state by state, but also how do the independents come in? What happens with the Greens in some of these areas? Mm. If the Labor Party, you know, if they've got big support, does that cost the Greens or do the Greens? And if there's a swing against the Liberal Party, where does their vote go? Does it go to minor parties? Does it go to independents? Or does it go to the Liberal Party, Labor Party? Does it go to the Greens? So all this sort of stuff is really interesting. Well, we've got so many questions about the upcoming election on how it's going to go. And we know that I'm sure you guys have lots of questions as well. So this is just the beginning of the way that we're going to unpack the election this year. Cool. So let us know what you think and let us know what your questions are. Reach out, yeah. message us, whatever. Send us a carrier pigeon. Um, that'll probably be messy maybe don't do that but um, yeah send us a message uh, and hopefully uh, as we go on this journey together over this next probably the next couple of months um, well today's a, we're recording on the 14th of March and the 14th of May is probably the odds on favour for when the election day will be yeah. so the next two months uh, as you go on this journey together let's um, yeah let's have a bit of fun and uh, we'll see where we end up very nice see you guys later see you guys bye <laughs>